Welcome to World of DAS, a show for data enthusiasts. I'm your host, Warren Hoffman, CEO of SafeGraph. For more conversations, videos, and transcripts, visit safegraph.com slash podcasts. Hello, fellow data nerds. My guest today is RJ Pittman. RJ is the CEO of Matterport, a $1.4 billion spatial data and 3D capture company. He's also held senior roles at eBay, Apple, Google. RJ, welcome to World of DAS. All right, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, for listeners who don't know, Matterport uses like a camera technology to document physical spaces and then is able to render them in kind of a spatially accurate kind of digital twin. Kind of a simple way of thinking about it is you, you turn buildings into data. How do you like describe you a building with data? There you go. I was going to say, that's the simpler description of Matterport is there's a lot of technology under the hood from capturing, processing, and understanding physical spaces in the world. But put simply, we turn buildings into data. And that's different than taking high-resolution photos of a space or shooting a video of a space. Our capture technology and our AI technology does two things. First thing it does, it goes into a space and dimensionally accurate to less than a centimeter will effectively capture all the dimensions in the space from a specialty capture technology. Sorry, so like you have like a camera and it turns it into like a floor plan or what's the output that one gets from that? In fact, there's a lot of different things. So our camera has nine sensors on it, RGB sensors, which are regular digital camera lenses. And then it also has structured light sensors on them, which basically are depth sensors. So they can measure depth to 20, 30 meters highly precise and you combine all of these sensors together and when you have the camera rotate on a tripod on its axis in 14 seconds it not only can capture full 134 megapixel fidelity imagery of the room or the building you're in but it also gets 3 million measurements basically everything in the space and i'm not talking just length with height of a room but the dimensions of that chair and that plant and the floor lamp that's sitting behind you is all dimensionalized because we turn this into a 3D model and all of the contents in the space are all 3D objects. The way you see them in the real world, we're truly creating a digital twin of any physical space and the contents inside it. That's super cool. I can tell you how many, again, algorithmically for realtors or homeowners or what have you, property managers, how many walk-in showers, how many clawfoot tubs, how many sink fixtures, shower heads, how many burners are on the stove? And even as a tile wood floor, like because we use computer vision analysis, object recognition and segmentation, once we have all of this data on a property, it's very easy for us to do data analysis. And the more data you get, the smarter you get with your analysis. We have so much training data that you now have the ability to do more than a human can do in terms of understanding all of the nuances of a property, residential or commercial. Think of another one as remote building inspections, where we service some of the largest retailers in the world. Starbucks, Walgreens, Home Depot, CVS, they all have tens of thousands of locations around the world. And they're digitizing their retail locations so that they don't have to send ground crew in every month, which they have to do and inspect the buildings for all kinds of compliance, code and safety, repairs, maintenance. Now they have a digital twin of these locations and they can go in either themselves remotely. Think of this as Zoom for buildings and building inspections and walkthroughs. 
because you have all of that measurement data at your fingertips, but you can also do it algorithmically and say, I yeah. want to all right, yeah, I, I, yeah, all I, of the, I, where I'm going. That's so cool. Yeah, that's super cool. It becomes uh, a that, search engine for a portfolio building. Tell me where all 25,000 sprinkler heads are. Are any of them in the wrong spot? Yeah, or, yeah. You know, look funny. We do that with humans in the most inefficient way. Our kind of bigger mission here is just like anything, like Google turning knowledge into information that you can then organize and search at your fingertips. We're really just trying to do the same thing with physical space. One of the things I'm interested in in Matterport is, so you've got this camera that is expensive camera that can do all these like really cool things and capture information really ways. And then of course there's like a smartphone that is like has a camera that's not nearly as good, but can do like an okay job. And I imagine some scenarios, your camera is going to be the best scenario, but you have to like get the camera there somehow to the building and it's like hard to ship it there. And then in other cases, it's like, well, you have a smartphone, you could just use it. How do you weigh what to do in what scenario? Let me give you the quick backstory that is also, I think, a really interesting dilemma that I think all leaders in companies from startups to big companies face. I know that we all face them. And it's really a bit of innovator's dilemma. And when I got to Matterport, 70% of the company's revenue came from the Matterport Pro 2 camera, this thing with all the sensors we talked about. And it is an extraordinary invention. It's a $3,500 Pro camera device. It's not a consumer product you're going to find at Best Buy. And 70% of the revenue. But the future of the business was all in my mind, this is a spatial data company. It is a subscription revenue company. This is SaaS business. And we are going to move to creating value from the spatial data we capture, not value from the camera we sell. And so my proposal was, and within 60 days of joining the company, we were in market with a new approach for Matterport that said, yes, we have the only way you could create a digital twin with Matterport and those great walkthroughs and virtual tours was with the proprietary camera. And now I'm saying, hey, you can use an off-the-shelf $300 camera, digital camera, and get darn near close to good results with a product that we don't even get a dime of revenue from. It's a third-party product, but we're now going to make Matterport accessible to an order of magnitude more people. We're going to cast a wider net for the market. Now, that could immediately cannibalize this. This is innovator's dilemma. Right. We don't disrupt ourselves. Like somebody's going to come along and say, Matterport's fantastic, but it's vertically integrated. It's way too expensive for most people, even in real estate. And we're going to come in with a low cost solution. It's not going to be as good as Matterport, but it's going to be good enough. And so we said, let's not let that happen. Let's do that to ourselves. And it got all the way down to smartphone capture, where we had enough spatial data that even taking a plain old iPhone with no LiDAR sensor on it, none of the stuff that the new phone has, and operated in the same way that you hold it in your hand and go around the room, capture a bunch of imagery, and then let Cortex take flat photos from enough camera angles that you took walking through your house to predict 3D geometry and rebuild an actual 3D, true 3D model of the house just from photos taken from anybody's smartphone in their pocket. And the only way that was possible was because of the eight years the company was building a library, what I would call reference data, 3D models created from our Pro 2 camera that is highly, highly precise. So that training data allowed us to train our neural network to fill in the gaps. If the only thing it got was flat photos, 
to be able to then ascertain a 3D rendition of it. And I'll tell you, that's not for the faint of heart to kind of throw that switch. And in the case of smartphone, we give it away. So now you don't even need any piece of hardware. And your first Matterport of your house, your Airbnb, whatever, is totally free. And you could imagine that massively cannibalizing your primary source of revenue. And you got to have the courage, but also the strategy and the playbook in place. And this was very much a product segmentation strategy that worked because we weren't really cannibalizing the existing customer base buying a $3,000 camera. We were ushering in a whole new audience, millions of smartphone owners that could just pull out their phone and create a Matterport digital twin of the space they're in, in 10 minutes. And so we expand, we grew the pie, we didn't replace it. And that's the cool thing about the technology is that once I did that, the sort of interesting output of all of that is since launching smartphone capture, we've sold more $3,500 Pro 2 cameras than we have in the history of the company. All boats were lifted with the tide, which was part of the plan. Never know exactly how it's going to go because you are taking a big leap of faith, but it absolutely just raised the visibility of Matterport in ways that even we didn't predict that helped us achieve the next level of scalability. And I think this is a strategy and a playbook. I borrowed it from plenty of other companies and journeys I've been on. I didn't invent it, but we put it to work, I think, at a really critical time in Matterport's future is at this crossroads of how is it going to get to the next stage of growth? Yeah, I can tell just from like the way you're talking, like you have the passion of like a founder, but you, you join as a CEO, you yeah. joined, I think in 2018. What is it like joining as a CEO rather than being like the founder CEO? You and I know each other a long time through all of these generations of web and internet 1.0 to whichever dot we're on now. So I've been a founder of many companies and also worked in the big tech companies as well, Google and Apple and eBay and all that. And so in some respects, coming back into it is what I wanted to do after working in some of the bigger companies is getting back into my entrepreneurial roots. And I just hit the ground running. So it was a little bit natural for me to just jump in. But what does matter is, do you align with the heart and the minds and the vision of the founder? And if the founders are still there and they're relevant to the future, which in the case of Matterport, that was absolutely true. First and foremost is, is there a meeting of the minds, some kindred spirit? And if there's not, it'll be a constant battle. Matterport was founded by Dave Gausbeck and Matt Bell. And just extraordinary is an early Y Combinator story. And Dave's a, like early engineer at PayPal and super brilliant guy. And what I saw very simply was, here's a really cool solution to a problem and the gold standard in virtual tours for real estate. But what I really saw was, wait a minute, you've got an extraordinary data library here that you're not tapping into. And is this actually a spatial data platform business versus a virtual tour company? Who's interested? I'm interested in that. If the company, the board, the investors, you guys are interested in this I think we could build the next big platform in tech because real estate is the largest asset class in the world, $320 trillion asset class. It's bigger, four or five times bigger than the sum total of all stock markets combined. And it's completely offline or 
if you're giving advice to like another person who's in your shoes, who's incoming into a really cool founder led company and who's going to be the CEO, like what advice would you give that person? First and foremost is you've got to be a sponge. So if you've made that decision and you are coming in, I had some preconceived notions of what the vision and strategy and priorities for the company were going to be under my leadership, but you've got to have a hand in bringing everyone along. It's your biggest responsibility. And so first you become a sponge and spend most of your time really absorbing the culture. What was it that made that, or what is it that makes this company special internally as well as externally? What do we value? And what are the things that we can build upon and create greater exponential strength in the business? And then when you start to lay down the revision to that vision and strategy, it's all in the name of one thing, which is alignment. And Matterport was on its way to becoming a global company. It was a small, but fast growing startup when I joined. And so you don't want to come in and break things or try to fix things that aren't broken. And that takes time. And so it was valuable to spend 30, 60, 90, really being smart about that. And then when we put things into motion, the most important thing is building consensus and alignment. Super clear. How, and how, does, one, how does one drive well. clarity and alignment? Is it just the OKRs and communication? How does one do it? It is in simplest form, rinse, wash, repeat. It is remarkable how easy it is to take for granted that if you've built the best presentation for your company all hands and you've given an extra hour for Q&A and everybody can ask questions and pressure tests and get clarity that now everybody knows the strategy, now everybody knows the vision, where we're going, what are the priorities, what we're here for, think again. You're nowhere close to done. And it sinks in with probably 25% of the organization. And it's always been amazing to me, and especially in some of my tour of duty and some of the bigger companies, how lost that is on leadership. And some great companies, it sometimes feels remedial. Why are we talking about this? Going to keep the message simple, keep your vision and strategy, something you can fit on a single page. But then it's rinse, wash, repeat in perpetuity for especially today or in today's world where Matterport went from all in-person company to now we are basically remote first. 90% of my leadership team that was all here in the Bay Area does not live in the Bay Area anymore. And some are in Hawaii and far-reaching, interesting places. And so communication is especially important in the new world order going forward. And so over-communication is kind of an understatement, but being able to deliver clear, crisp messages and then just being unrelenting in the frequency and volume of it is first of all, the OKRs and your KPIs, super critical because those for me aren't so much about driving alignment as they are measuring results. The thing that I've set out for in Matterport is elevating two important values. One was moving to a company and a community of empowerment, which means I'm not going to come in and manage top down and nor is the leadership team. This is a chance for everybody to do the best work of their lives and have phenomenal career growth opportunity because this company is so much bigger than it was currently at when we got there. The second part of it to really growing is accountability. So empowerment with accountability. You can go into the deep end of the pool all you want, but be accountable for the results, good, bad, or otherwise. And you're not going to be thrown overboard 
if the first five things you take a big swing at don't work. You just got to be accountable for the outcome any which way, and we will grow together. And that's how you create scalability in an organization. And the OKRs keep you honest on accountability and those results. But it's that strategy and communication that we talked about that is absolutely essential to driving the alignment. And I could go to any company today, I virtually guarantee you that none of them are doing enough of it. You go public in early 2021 and 2021, good time in the markets. Now we're in 2022, tougher time, nothing to do with your business. All businesses are down. What's it like to be a CEO of a public company in 2022? When we made that decision, to take the company public, again, with my leadership team, all you know, been in public companies and we've all taken companies public before ourselves personally, we know what we were getting into, which is it all sounds great. And it's there's always the vision of glory and glamour of going public. That lasts for about the day of the IPO and the listing. <laughs> and then it's welcome to reality. No matter what the market conditions are, you've got to deliver, you've got to perform it's a new level of accountability and a new level of execution in the business that we felt would really be valuable and important for Matterport. So it was a 10-year-old company at that point. It was time to go for, again, a much bigger and much higher plateau for the company. And we knew that it was going to be a heavy lift, first and foremost, just because this is an entirely new market in terrain. This is not another cloud data processing company. And I don't take anything away from them. There are all so many fantastic players in that space. This is a mature and established space. If you're talking about cloud computing and cloud infrastructure and cloud services for enterprises, you have an opportunity to hit the ground running because it's a proven category. Our category and what we do does not have five other Matterports or a giant FANG type company that does what we do that you can point to. We are that business. And so we knew that that was going to be a tough road to hoe to bring Wall Street in the tent and really get them bought into what we're doing. And that actually was going quite well. And you could see just how much shareholder interest we got in the company. We distanced ourselves from almost all IPOs that year as we were roaring into the end of 21. And then you round the corner to 22. And within 30 days, the market's Everyone, everyone's a wall. And nobody had even put out earnings. No one had you know, <laughs> said anything about their financial performance. We just were all down 70%. And it's not fun, but I can't say that we weren't prepared. And the difference now is it's so interesting. You go into this in a bull market and you're a growth company, high growth tech company. And the only thing the investors want to talk about or challenge you on is, can you put your capital to work efficiently? Can you grow faster? Okay. You're yeah. not grow fast. I don't believe yeah. you can hire that many people in this time period. No yeah. way. I'm going to put a hesitating or wait and see on your stock to see if you can actually do that. Literally, it could be like three months later, and it's the same investors and new ones that are saying, so what are you going to do to get to profitability? How do you cut costs? Yeah. And what's that look like? When is that on the horizon? I'm like, guys, we went public for a reason. We were actually cash flow positive from operations for many quarters in a row before going public. So we'd already gotten to that level. We've proven that this business could run profitably without even needing to get to a $100 million run rate revenue business. So we're well past that now. What we said is we have a unique head start in this market and we need to really move quickly while we're an N of one 
to get as much market share as we can. My customer acquisition cost is never going to be this low. Even today, like fast forward a year from going public, it's never going to be this low. And so we've got to continue to move quickly to get that market share, bring the Fortune 1000 on the platform. It's working, but we're still not going fast enough. Even in a tough market, I'd like to accelerate further, but we're tapping the brakes a little bit to make sure we are fully set up for the long haul. Like we're heavily, very, very well capitalized. So not an issue, but you got to be smart. And so that also means taking the hard knocks in the reality of Wall Street and the stock market right now and helping bring your investors along on how we're going to rebound from this and make sure that they are comfortable with and they can see that the fundamentals of your business, fundamentals of your strategy are sound. The business is working. It's growing. Your customers are staying with you. A lot of focus on retention. People will say, yes, okay, we're not going to be as obsessed with growth right now, but in a down market and when the economy is hitting everybody hard, are your customers large and small reevaluating their spend? And are you seeing people running for the exits? And yep. the good news is, of course, Matterport, it's, it's all going really well from that perspective. But these are the things that become top of mind, again, for all companies, really private or public. It's just the light is much brighter and pointed more directly at you when you're public. The last question we ask all of our guests, what conventional wisdom or advice do you think is generally bad advice? Well, one that I hear a lot from a number of sources, many close to me or not, is fake it till you make it. And there are certain instances where I've seen it work and I've seen it work really well. It could be in a specific type of job like sales or marketing. It could be your entrepreneurs in a company and you have a vision for a product, you have a prototype for a product, you demo your product, and some parts of it are real and some of it you are promising will be doable and will be real at some point. And some parts maybe you're totally faking that are real. And a lot of different ways that that statement gets applied in business and in life. And I think it's bad advice because my advice is fail off and fail fast. Because that is where two things happen that are so important, I think, to human development and especially for professionals is, one, that is where you learn. And if you don't embrace the failure and own it, then you're also not consciously learning from. You're either sweeping it under the rug, you're kind of passing it off maybe as not a learning, but as something that happened to you as a causality, gigantic missed opportunity for growth number one. And number two, it invites a very bad habit. If you are not comfortable with embracing and celebrating the fails as much as the wins, then you're never going to grow. You will always fear failure. And you look in today's industry, and I think with how fast technology makes careers and spawns startup companies from kids fresh out of anything, junior high to high school and college and everywhere in between to all the way up to big industry, there are a, a disproportionate number of people in either leading new startups or leading Fortune 100 companies that are still afraid to fail. And it, cool. it holds back so much potential in our world and humanity and society and of course in industry. 
And faking it till you're making it is done a huge disservice to ripping the Band-Aid off and making much bigger changes in the world for the better much faster. All right. This has been amazing. I follow you at RJ Pittman on Twitter. Is that the best place people could find you on the internet? Yes. And on LinkedIn. I'm as verbose on LinkedIn as well, also as RJ Pittman as I am on Twitter. And I like it. It's where we get to talk even more industry focused and Twitter. It's all kinds of thoughts and crazy things like some of the things we've discussed here. All right. Amazing. Thank you, RJ, for joining us on World of Das. It's been great. Great. Great fun. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider rating this podcast and leaving a review. For more World of Das, and Das is D-A-A-S, you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And also check out YouTube for videos. You can find me at Twitter at at Oren, that's A-U-R-E-N, Oren, and we'd love to hear from you. 